Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to squarespace.com slash twip. Hey everybody, we're back uh, for another a PMA special of this week in photography, and uh, this is Alex Lindsay, and coming in from uh, <laughs> uh, Redondo Beach, Hermosa Beach, <laughs> <laughs> Ron Brinkman, and uh, so, uh, and then we have Joseph Lenaski coming in from Pasadena. Good morning, and a bright and early morning it is. It is. We we recorded. This is the second time we've recorded this. Uh, <laughs> we had we we had a great show. We together. we did. You should have heard it. You we were heard we it. were witty and clever and had amazing insights into everything. And awake. Point out that and we the, were awake. And we were awake. And, and the audio engineer, the audio engineer, <laughs> totally didn't hit record. Who shall remain nameless? Oh, but it looks a lot like me. <laughs> there's a there's a problem with one, the the recorder. Had, you have to hit the record twice, and in, in most of my recorders, you just hit it and go. And uh, I felt like that that shot of uh, that for some reason I was thinking of the shot of True Lies. Was, Aziz battery, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so this show will either be will either be well rehearsed because we've done it once before, or because it's very early in the morning. And we are trying to recreate the magic. It will be not. <laughs> yeah. So so anyway, we, we we were all at PMA yesterday. Um, we were wandering around. We were looking at cool things. And PMA uh, being the Photo Marketing uh, Association? Association. Yeah. Which is basically it is you know it's the NAB of of uh, photo photography. It's the Mac World of photography. It's it's the one that you know everybody goes to. There's two big shows um, that that happen, and one is happens every year, and that's PMA, and that usually happens in Las Vegas. This year it was in Anaheim, and uh, the other big one, which is coming up this year, it's every other year, is Photokina, and I think that that you know, so I think that, and usually that's a big one. Did, did you ever go to that, Joseph? I haven't been out to there. It's a it's a good one. Back when I used to work for Apple, we you know we had a booth there. Yeah, that's, that's a heck of a show. It, it is. That's the one I went to um, back when I worked for Apple. Uh, was doing some stuff on the Aperture team. Was nice. I never, you, know, you know, what I realized is that if, if Fred was here, I would still be the only person that never worked for Apple. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I should have said that on the air. You know, it's, it's ruining. You know, but but Fred uses you know Lightroom, and so anyway, so the. Uh, uh, Anyway, so in uh, Photokina is you know we're, we're trying to look at see if we can find some sponsors and, and see if we can make it work to go out there and cover it. It's especially I think PMA gets a little smaller when Photokina the year of Photokina because a lot of the companies are really focusing a lot of their release dates. You know, and and, and what you see is like when you and the reason it's important to know when these conferences are coming out as a as a photographer is that um, when you get close to those conferences, people who in the know tend not to. Um, they tend not to buy stuff. You know, you tend to kind of wait. It's the month or two before both of these conferences. You tend to just kind of hold on. Um, the, the average consumer doesn't care. They just kind of do it. And, and, and if you're in production and you just need a camera, you buy it. But 
if you could wait a little longer, you know, uh, the next the next big one, I mean, right now is a good time because you've seen everything that's going to come out for the next three or four months. But as you get to September or so, uh, you know, August, September, it's probably a good idea to just wait and see what the, what camera companies do um, before you buy another, before you make that big investment on the next camera. But, um, but there was a lot of, you know, there was a, there was a lot of cool stuff at um, at PMA. One of the one of the things that was kind of a uh, I thought a little drama was uh, Canon wasn't there. Yeah, you know it's uh, all the other biggies were there, all the Nikon's and Samsung's and Panasonic's, but Canon decided not to be there. Uh, my understanding is that they are going to be at PMMI, but the right one, the uh, wedding photographers show. So they may just be the WPPI. Them. WPPI, sorry. Um, uh, and they were at CES, you know, which was only a few weeks back, I guess. So well, and, and the it, thing to remember is, that, is for one of these big um, – one of these – for a big manufacturer, you can't just go and have a 10-foot booth. You can't have just a presence. You can't have a little 20-foot booth. You have to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. You know, So when you go and you see these huge Nikon booths and you see these massive Olympus booths and, and he, you can and can't come in and have something smaller than they do. And – that investment is $2 million, $2 or $3 million. And it's not just the, the to put it up. You have to rent the space, and the space is going to cost you a million dollars. And then it's going to, or half a million dollars. And then it, and then, then you're going to have, you know, you have to pay the union to build the thing for you. And you had to design it and build it in the first place. And then you have to fly 50 people in and put them up in hotels and pay for their meals and their flights and everything else. And, and that all adds up to a lot of money. And it's a huge investment. So I can totally see, especially with Macworld, you know, coming, you know, or CES, and then you have PMA, and then you have NAB, all of which are things that Canon needs to pay attention to. Um, that it looks like, especially with Photokina coming in the fall, I think that's probably why we didn't see uh, Canon participate. Yeah, and you know, it wasn't a, a hugely attended show. It didn't feel like either. It was certainly not a crowded show. There was a lot of people there, but I can, I can well, and believe it. It's a different it. kind of show. You know, it's a, it is a more professional show. I mean, you see some people here, there that are quote-unquote pedestrians or, or, or civilians. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but for the most part, you know, what you're seeing there are people who are vendors who are buying stuff, uh, looking at what they're going to distribute. Um, you, you could see people from, you know, B&H walking around looking at what they're going to add to the, to the um, uh, you know, to their giant collection of, of stuff uh you know and and so you have um uh you know so you have all these uh you know vendors looking at it and then you have photographers obviously who are looking at pieces so there, there's a more professional crowd on on average yeah you could definitely tell it was a, a b2b show for a lot of it um ron you and i walked up to one booth and asked about a camera and they said how many are you gonna buy one or a thousand right <laughs> Right, and the the question is constantly when you're asking anything about any of the hardware: is it do you want the wholesale price or do you want the retail price? You know, because most of the people there are just used to quoting the wholesale price. You know, especially like photographic services, a lot. Of, you know, what you're seeing there is a lot of stuff that they do for wedding photographers, for for uh, you know portrait photographers, where you know this is how much it costs per print, you know, wholesale, or this is how much it costs per canvas wholesale, and and these are all things that uh, you know. So that this is that that's really what you got to see you know, when you wandered around. So speaking of what we got to see, what did you guys, what was the biggest thing that you saw that you, that you were excited about? The biggest thing would have been that Sigma lens, like literally. (laughs) 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 That thing is outrageous. Who in the world designs, what was it? 200 to 500 millimeter. 2.8. Fixed F 2.8. 2.8. It's insane. I'm looking at a little iPhone snapshot I took of Ron putting his mug up to it. 
It's bigger the than camera. You barely can see the camera. I mean, it's it's, it's an SLR. It's it was a twenty D or forty D. It was a five D. Oh, was it? Was that a five D? Okay, so yeah, it's a five D. Plugged onto the back of it. It just looked, looked tiny. So it was it. So um, it, it just looks like a cannon. We covered all of this, by the way. We shot twenty seven segments. They're going to probably come out in uh, eight or nine episodes. We're going to clump them together because we just shot too many. We shot them in like three hours, <laughs> and, and uh, so we covered a whole bunch of stuff. And over the next couple of weeks, people are going to be able to hear us, you know, or see us um, talking about a lot of these things. And so uh, we, we definitely shot one about the Sigma and uh, the Sigma. <laughs> and that's, lens, that's, and that's actually that's not a, a new lens. I think that one's been out for a little while yet. Um, but it's, it's the first time I saw it. It's a bit, you know, and that's exactly right. When you actually get get next to it, you're like, oh my god, you know, and, and it, it feels extraordinarily impractical for. Anything I would ever do, but you would need uh, an assistant just to put that in, you know, just to uh, carry and it literally. Around. I mean, it's just it's monstrous. Yeah, they did announce they um, have to trade. They have to trade. Like walking from the car to the office, you'd have like two people who would who would like, <laughs> carry it. You know, carry it on one of those little sticks. You know, between their between their shoulders. And well, it's could, a, <laughs> they can hang it. That's I think that's that's pretty much how it would have to get transported. It, it, it is like a thirty eight thousand dollar lens or something, right? Thirty eight thousand dollars, and and for you know people you know wondering why why would you needed to be so big is you know just getting that glass to get it getting a fixed aperture that large because remember the aperture is relative to the you know size you know so having an aperture that's 2.8 having it that big and having the glass able to do that without vignetting and so on and so forth is is quite a thing you know it's not it's not a minor uh feat of engineering to to do 2.8 and so anyway it was it's a big Sigma Sigma did announce uh, quite a few new lenses at the show. Uh, several of them are pretty interesting. Uh, they, they announced a, a seventy to two hundred two point eight, which and is the, and the big thing. The big they they have that already out, and we have one. Uh, we have one of their Sigma seventy two hundreds. The distinction was, of course, is that they have um, you know stabilization now. That was something that was in the L the Canon L lens, which we. You know, we got cheap. We, we, you know, I don't know. We, we can't say we got cheap. We still wanted to fix 2.8, um, but we spent $800 on the Sigma instead of $1,500 on the, on the Canon. And, um, and, and, we're, and we're fine with the lenses that we got there from Sigma. You know, it was just one of those things like we didn't have the budget to quite go $3,000 for two lenses, you know, which was the 24 to 70 and 70 to 200. Um, and we needed them. <laughs> so, yeah. so we decided they were good enough, especially since what we were doing is shooting video with it. Yeah, Sigma continues to be a very good option for kind of two things. I mean, number one is a lower cost alternative to what you can get dedicated for your your Canon or Nikon. And then, of course, for all of these third-party manufacturers that don't have the depth of lenses that a Canon or Nikon does, you know, the the Sonys or the Pentaxes or whatever, uh, you can basically get equivalent kind of glass from Sigma uh, and often at, at a lower price point. So I know the other, there was a couple other ones we looked at, um, Neat lenses are just worth mentioning real quick. There's an eight to sixteen millimeter they have, so an ultra wide, still a rectilinear, so it's you know not a fisheye. It tries to keep the line straight. Now, I saw I saw there was a little bit of barreling in it, but it was very minor compared to what I expected when I looked into it. Yeah, and that's that's only that's an APS-C type sensor lens, so it'll literally go on the crop sensors. Right. So you're gonna uh, put that on your seven D maximum, you know, or your right. or your D three hundred, or you know, you're not gonna put it on a, uh, or I guess D seven hundred would would be fine, right? Yes, uh, and, and and the equivalent Nikon's that have the crop sensor ones, whose model numbers I don't know off the top of my head. Um, no, the but Nikon, not the, Nikon not the D, full frame. Yeah, right. Not, but not the D three, uh, not the five uh, D. You know those those types of things. You're not yeah. putting on there. Uh, but it, it, it looked good. I looked through it. I didn't have anything side by side to compare with. But that's you know I've got the ten to twenty two Canon uh, on my crop sensor, and I love it. I mean it's just awesome having that kind of a wide angle for doing. 
landscape stuff. So yeah, I think I think the field of view is about 130 30 degrees, something like that. So it's so it's a pretty good. Uh, um, yeah, it's 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 nifty. <laughs> no, no. What about that ridiculous fish eye that we were looking at? Yeah, and they do make two fish eyes. I think Alex, you've, you've played with the eight millimeter. Right? I, have, I, I didn't I, realize this, but there's a four millimeter that they have. Four millimeter. Picture but that's APS. Oh, it's APS. Yes. So it's the crop sensor equivalent for of the of the eight millimeter. I was say with uh, four millimeter on on what I have, I, I feel like it was taking a picture of me while I was taking a picture of it. <laughs> it's pretty close. I was you know pointing a guy completely away from Joseph and took a shot, and he was still in frame. So. <laughs> <laughs> the uh the um that's the uh uh yeah i mean i i shoot that for i mean and, and you use these are like specialty lenses I mean, once you get to that that level now the interesting thing is is that you can especially when you have enough resolution you can crop out of the center of that lens and actually use the image like a wide angle you know and so so you can you you know you can you can use that image to some degree but what what, what we usually use it for is building panoramas i mean i think that's what almost everybody i know that owns the eight millimeter is shooting a um, is shooting panoramas, and so you're 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 able to basically shoot six images around and one up, and you can stitch a seamless, you know, image. You could theoretically do it with three, but we shoot six to have a little more overlap. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's interesting. Uh, we took a couple pictures with that eight millimeter, and I'm looking at them right now in aperture, and uh, the the info on it, it doesn't know what it is. It says it's either a Canon EF twenty eight to eighty or a Sigma seventeen to thirty five. And the pictures taken on the 5D, it reports was 8mm correctly. And then we had a couple on a 30D, and it says it's a 5mm. It's completely backwards. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> interesting it should be the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah. And so it's um, – and it is important, especially when you're doing that kind of stuff, to make sure you get the proper EXIF data because a lot of the programs that you're using to stitch them together uses that EXIF data to make sure it mm. works. So it's – it's. Uh, it is. It's uh, that's a, that is a bigger deal than it may sound. Okay, so uh, there was a couple trends that I wanted to cover because there's a couple things that we um, that we saw that I thought were uh, that we you know because one of the things is we've spent a lot of time talking about Canon. We spent a lot of time talking about Nikon. Those have been two, you know, in, you know, and, and, and sometimes you know people complain that we don't talk enough about the other companies. And one of the things that I thought was was really interesting was is the exciting stuff from Canon. There was no exciting stuff coming from Canon because they weren't there. Um, but I think that, and Nikon had a couple new things, but I think that the thing that what I saw that was exciting was stuff coming out of the other company, quote unquote, other companies, the companies that we don't talk about as much, the companies that don't, you know, cause I think sometimes we get a little too, you know, SLR centric. And I think some of the exciting new features that we're seeing in Canon, I mean, in cameras is coming out of the non SLR cameras. Um, some of the new features. So for instance, uh, 3d, uh, the only company doing it right now is that's really doing it into one package is Fuji. So Fujifilm has a uh, a three three D, and and I thought it was uh, very impressive. Did you guys see see the um, the three D camera from Fuji? Yeah, I took a quick look at it. It's it's interesting because I've seen pictures of this before, and it looks like a uh, standard kind of point and shoot when you see it in a photo without anything to scale reference it. Right. But it's quite a bit bigger than that. Uh, the reason being they want the two. Uh, pieces of glass, you know, the two lenses that you need for a stereo photo to be uh, what we call, you know, a standard interocular distance apart. Basically, the the distance that a human eye, uh, the human eyes are apart from each other. So it's a little bit bigger than I'd expected it to be, but it makes sense. Yeah, and, and it's two 10 megapixel uh, sensors. And so, and they're taking two photos. Now, what happens is, is those photos come in and they're, and they're, and they're, they're still two individual photos. But they're put into a into a proprietary wrapper. I mean, they're not you know, proprietary by it's something that Fuji made, but it's available. And most of the 3D systems are using that wrapper. Um, so it's you know it's just a package that holds 
the the two images and and why that's important is it, it it's not trying to figure out some format that's going to be used because right now the biggest problem we have is that at the end the whether it's a movie screen or a computer screen or a television screen one of the things that we have that we have to deal with is the ability to be able to view it and uh and and those formats are changing constantly so what fuji didn't did not do is commit to any of those formats what it did do is commit to an inner an interoperable format, so you're able to capture two images or 640 by 480 video, and it's two movies that are being captured, um, uh, and, and it puts it into a format that then can be converted to whatever the dead end is on the way on the way out. And so, um, I thought it was a pretty uh, a pretty nifty camera. I, you know, I have to admit, I wasn't, I had no interest really in 3d tv i mean i had some interest in 3d tv i, I thought it was gonna oh this could really go somewhere i thought it'd be sports you know but i could really see someone who's a little geeky getting a 3d tv and then having um and then and then be taking 3d pictures with this because it the pictures were amazing yeah but and the, the other part of it is then when you want to show the pictures off handing out the 3d glasses to all of your friends so i do it <laughs> after, after looking at it, after looking, at it, you know. But the thing is, is that here's the thing about 3D that I'm starting to, to get, and it took me a little while to get my head around, is that it really creates an event. You know, it's like a, you know, I, I, there's an event to it that that you don't have. There's less, it's less casual, you know, and more of a we're doing something fun, you know, something cool, you know. It's it's not just like oh we're sitting around the TV, you yeah, know. Yeah, but I don't I don't know. For for me, it feels like you're going back to the days of okay. Now everybody has to come sit and watch the slides of my summer vacation. I know in 3D, <laughs> yeah, but then see, but I, see, I think that there's something about that that is that there's some social aspect of that that we've lost, and I I think that that's actually kind of fun. It, it, it's a fair point. I you guess. get you get the whole family. I remember watching the you know eight super eight millimeter you know uh, movies of my of my family, and that was like a big thing. We we'd set the projector up and we we we'd hang down a a sheet. <laughs> I don't think we ever had. I don't <laughs> We ever really had a screen, and um, and we watched these videos over and over. You know, like we, there would be a collection of the videos that we like to watch, and when certain friends came over, we did it. And, and I think that that's what the three D, you know, and, and and paying for at least the cheap glasses, you know, is not that big of a deal. I, I have to admit, they showed some video. That they, I guess there's an underwater housing for this Fuji uh, camera, and I kept on asking them if the video, if they were sure the video was shot with this little camera. But they had some underwater video um, that they assured me was shot with the this camera and it was some of the best 3d i've ever seen i mean it was better than avatar i mean as far as the parallax and the cleanness of it and everything else i was like wow that really worked and and uh you know and 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 i i have to admit that i haven't been that impressed with you know i see like glimpses of 3d working when i go to 3d movies like avatar and other things this is and i think part of it's because it was a it's a camera that has the fixed you know those fixed uh, uh lenses that are perfectly spaced and always the same uh, that I mean, it just, it just felt really 3d, you know? And, and I was, uh, and it was the first time I really looked at something and just went, okay, I really need one of these. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, uh, so anyway, so that, that's, it's about five ninety nine, and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to justify ever getting one, but it was cool. Anyway, so now other things that are happening um, that are changing GPS, and this is something that I know Joseph, you're, you're pretty excited about. Yeah, definitely. I, I can't see buying another, point-and-shoot camera that doesn't have GPS. And I wish I could say the same with DSLRs, but my Canon, you know, Canon still hasn't figured out that GPS is important to people, so they haven't right. made an interface for it. But, um, yeah, for point-and-shoot, GPS, absolutely. Yeah, has and, to have it. And we saw, so Sony has it, uh, uh, Panasonic has it, uh, Casio has it, 
Um, I, mean, I think Casio has it. I, mean, I think I, saw, I might have skipped over that. Samsung definitely has it. So there's, we're definitely seeing GPS, and I think that we're going to get to a point where every company has at least a version of a camera that has GPS, and hopefully Canon will get their head out of the mud and uh, and and do some kind of interface. I mean, the thing is, is that we saw another we saw another um, thing a uh, by Philography. Uh, and, and there's other, there's lots of them, but it's, it's basically a tetherless. There's like no wires, no nothing. It's like a little thing that just pops into the, into your Nikon that lets you just connect to any GPS receiver that you might have uh, that has Bluetooth and have all of the GPS just embedded to your EXIF data, you know, as you're shooting. And, and, and you don't, it doesn't require a lot of extra stuff. It's just, it's just really tiny and just sits in the front of your camera. Uh, it's like a little box that's like, uh, you know, a centimeter by a centimeter. And so, um, but again, it's Nikon only. It's Nikon only because Canon doesn't give them, Canon doesn't give them the what the hooks that they need, which is ironic given that Canon is the uh, is the one that has a better SDK than Nikon generally. So it's it's just interesting that 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 we're you know begging Canon to to do that. So it's uh so it was a little frustrating there, but it 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 is I, I do agree. I mean it's it's hard. There were there were just a handful. There were a handful of cameras that I just felt like ugh. You know, if, if if all these pieces were in one camera, I would just be. Yeah, that, that was exactly it. You know, you, you look, you kind of put the, out the list of features that are available that you want, and that includes GPS type stuff and and uh, you know various other things like high speed uh, is the one that is starting to show up on some cameras. I, I just but really you can't you know, get it everywhere. Well, and the thing is, is that and, and like for instance, the high speed is something that could be done everywhere. So Casio's chip is the same chip I think as Samsung. Which is the same chip as Sony. It's the same chip as one of the, maybe maybe Olympus. Yeah, I, th- I think it's actually a Sony chip. It's a Sony that, chip that everybody's since, using. Yes, but Can- I mean, Casio for a long time was the only one getting high speed out of it, and now Samsung's doing it. Now Casio does it by putting two CPUs, you know, into the chip, and the uh, um, and you know they're getting up up to a thousand frames a second. Um, you can at six forty by four eighty, you can get up to one hundred and twenty frames a second. So it gets you know the image gets smaller, and the reason for that is how it scans the chip. Um, but the uh, but at six forty we're getting six forty by four eighty at one hundred twenty frames a second is pretty compelling and a little bit smaller than that is two hundred and forty frames um, a second and uh, it, it's it's just a fun you know it's a really fun feature to have you know slow motion is slow motion and time lapse are two things that are just mesmerizing you know what you know to watch and by the way time lapse is something that no one's really doing very well sorry to say except for Rico <laughs> who wasn't there. But Rico does great time lapse, and everyone else. I mean, they don't. They do okay time lapse, but better than everybody else because everyone else doesn't think it's important because you know it's it's only software. All you got to do. Is that's the, yeah. That's the frustrating thing about time lapse stuff, and, and you know by that we're talking about just set up the camera somewhere and let it take a picture every one minute or every five minutes or every you know whatever, and let it just shoot for hours or however long it can go. Uh, and make a little movie out of it afterwards. That's really why we. And you, know, you we see these things. The if you go up, if you do, do a search on YouTube for time lapse, or do a search on Vimeo, or just on the web for time lapse, and you'll see these these mesmerizing things of, of plants coming out, or things getting built, or cars going by, or cities you know going through a day. They're really really cool. You know now, and people say, well, you can put it on your SLR and blah 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 blah. Well, the reason you don't want to do it with your SLR is you don't want to. You don't want to have that many sh- shutter activations because you're only usually warranted for a hundred thousand or hundred fifty thousand shutter war- um, activations, and so you don't want to um, have it. Yeah, you don't want to, you want, don't use all that up shooting one movie. One movie is like three thousand frames, and so you shoot fifty movies and you use it all up, and and then that's it. I mean, you know, yep. it, it, you literally have to send it in, pay some cra- probably the price of the camera to have it fixed. You know, and so so the thing is, is that you want these little cameras to do that, and and it's really frustrating that they. 
So is, is it the shutter activation or is it the mirror or is it it's, both? It's really the mirror. It's lifting is the it? mirror. Yeah, but the mirror you can lock up. Right, the mirror you can lock yeah. up on most DSLR, so it doesn't flip down between every frame. We, the, we, it, the warranty, the warranty is on your shutter activations, though. It's the yeah. shutter, okay, okay. Yeah, the, the, and, you know that's and that's a concern I think is that you, you look at one of these cameras, and they will spec out saying you know this is rate this this shutter is rated for X number of activations, and I don't know that if you go in for warranty service they'll actually pull the the info out of the camera which they you have can, it can get, and say well you know you've shot more than whatever a hundred thousand photos on this we're we're considering this to have been beyond the bounds of what we expect it to do. Right. But bottom line is at some point you are going to wear that shutter out. Right. right. And, and, and the thing is, is that for the most part, I mean, that's, that's a lot of, I mean, you're going to generally replace your camera before we get to 100,000. Yes. In, you know, in even, normal usage. Even a, uh, I think the most I've ever shot in a year is, is uh, mid-20s. You know, as far as 20, I, I shot one year, I shot like 25, 26,000 photos. Yikes. And, uh, but, but the, uh, but I mean, that's, and that was a, that was a busy year for me, you know, and, and I guess a professional could go maybe more than that, but a professional is going to replace the camera every three or four years. You know I mean? They're, you know, they're going to, especially with digital cameras, it's not, you know, the lenses are the thing that you hang on to and you just keep on upgrading the body because the body in relative to the lenses is usually pretty cheap, you know? And so from, from, from a professional's point of view, not from a, and if you're, if you're not a professional, you're not going to be shooting 20 or 30,000 images a, um, a year. You can use it for 10 years so so other other things that were um you know pano uh, the, the 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 pano technology that sony's doing i know joseph you were really into that as well i was yeah because wide angle is one of the big things that's usually lacking from point and shoots you know they're usually like 35 and then if it's a really kind of better one they may advertise 28 and there's very few that go down as far as 25 or 24 right. and ron and i had seen a panasonic that was a 25 had the gps so i was pretty excited about that until uh, we ran into you, Alex, you were talking about this panel feature. And so we headed over to the Sony booth to check that out. And sure enough, we found the camera that is, I think, going to be my next point and shoot that has this panel feature and the GPS built into it. Yeah, and, and the panel feature is just uh, I mean, so simple. You, you literally just, just push the trigger and just move. Like you, just, you simply just, just kind of pan over what you want to see, and then it just automatically stitches together a panel immediately. You're like painting the scene. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it works really well. And and the thing that what's the, we we talked about it last year. We we showed it in a in, you know we covered it last year. But what what's different now is that it's in all the cyber shots above about two hundred dollars. So it's um, really exciting, you know, to to see that kind of uh, you know kind of expand, uh, you know, a great a great deal. And this this is really we're starting to see a lot more of this kind of you know onboard processing, doing cool things with the data that's captured. Uh, I think most of these Sony's also do sort of a pseudo high dynamic range where they can sort of uh, meld together a few different bracketed exposures automatically on the Fuji, fly as Fuji's well. doing that as well. A, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of companies are doing this thing where they're shooting a couple. Now, what's happening though, here's the thing that's interesting, is even if the cameras that are shooting these shoot, even if they shoot raw, they're giving you a JPEG when they do that because what they're having to do is actually process those images. Right. So, so you're getting out of camera, you're getting what the camera's best attempt is to create a high dynamic range image out of that. And, and they're almost always set up, fortunately, to produce something that looks as realistic as possible. So you're not going to get those crazy oversaturated uh, HDR photos that a lot of people think of whenever they hear the word HDR. You're and and get- I want to say, I always want to say, I, I now want to say because people mistake this, th- those are tone mapped images. You know, we, what we think of as HDR is really tone tone mapped. Well, I, more specifically, I'd say they are 
tone mapped. Tone mapping to me is a process of mapping colors into into an image, and I'd say those are specifically tone mapped to get a very surreal kind of a look. I mean, right. you can you can still tone map and get something that looks realistic, but those are right. sort of the overdone tone mapping, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Let's remember though that we are talking about these little point and shoot cameras, and most people don't care about getting raw out of them, and they, 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 me, they just want to see the detail on the windows. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And even for me, you know, as a pro photographer, if I want raw pictures, I'm going to shoot with my DSLR. But when I'm carrying a point and shoot, the reason I'm carrying it is because I don't want to have to mess with it later. Yeah. I want to take a picture, upload it, you know, load it into Aperture or iPhoto and just email it. I don't want to have to mess with it. Yeah. So not having raw in those to me is not a disadvantage. Yeah. Yeah. And also another, another thing that we, that we started seeing um, moving along was, uh, was rugged cameras. So cameras that you can uh, you can throw in the water, and you can freeze them, you can go 10 feet underwater, you can, uh, you can drop them. Uh, this is something that I think we saw from, once again, from Casio, Samsung, Nikon, Sony. Uh, Panasonic had the one that I think is probably the, the leader in terms of how deep it can go. They're, most of these tend to be 10 feet. They're, Panasonic has a Lumix that they claim, I think, 30 or 33 feet. I never go down that deep. <laughs> but that's like that's like I'm going scuba, you know. I'm going like light scuba. Yeah, uh, exactly, you know. it sort of hits that range where you can almost scuba with it, but not quite. And it's kind of like, I can't you just go a little bit more? Right. And then and, and so they uh, and uh, the one that I thought that had the best um, the one the best looking one <laughs> was the Casio. I just thought it looked so gnarly, and and uh, so I was like, ah, oh, that that's the right form factor for me because a lot of them look kind of dorky. Um, you know, because well, you have to make them dorky oftentimes to make them, you know, rugged. And and Casio went a little bit, uh, you know, is a better style. And it has interval shooting, really bad interval shooting, like yeah, for time lapse. But as long as you want to shoot a time lapse, there's no more than a, a minute worth of stuff. Yeah, 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 it was like thirty thirty minutes, I think, was the max or something like that. And you're just like, okay. So, um, but it does does do that a little bit. So that uh, kudos to uh, Casio to go a little bit down that path. But rugged, I think, is something that you know, and and it's not just for. You know, you think, oh, I'm never going to take it into the pool or whatever. But there are so many times, and the, and the reason that I, you know, it's tempting for me to get that camera. Uh, and I'm, I have to admit that there's part of me that may just invest in a couple different cameras for a, cu- a couple different point and shoots for a couple different reasons, um, because I could totally see wanting to have a rugged camera. Uh, when well, there's been a ton of times when I've been out on a set where it's raining. Uh, where it's snowing, uh, where there's all these things going on, and I want to shoot, but I'm afraid of, you know, I'm constantly conscious of my camera. And being able to have something that I can just kind of pull out and shoot, to me, would be an advantage. So anyway, so also Samsung uh, did a little, a slightly uh, different thing. You've got APS, so the NX10. Uh, so this is a, a, a small camera, mirrorless. So they, they take out the mirror, and that allows them to make the camera a lot smaller. So it looks like a four-thirds camera. I mean, it's about the same, maybe just a little bit bigger. Uh, it looks like a four-thirds camera, um, but it's using a, a sensor that's uh, probably two or three times the area of four-thirds. Did you take a look at that at all? Just briefly, uh, you know, the other nice thing about it is it's got a nice big uh, f1.8 lens. So, that, you know, this, this is something that's, that's sitting in more of the uh, crossover between the, the micro four-thirds and the, um, like, the LX3 or the P90, I guess, from... From Canon, you know, a, a nice large sensor, but still in the compact body. Yeah, so so you still have that miniaturization where it's going to fit into more bags. You're going to be able to fit more lenses into more bags. Uh, you're going to be able to do a lot more with that. As a, and, and it, you know, if, if if you're kind of in that in that world where you want it to be a little bit more compact, but you still want the power of the SLR, 
Um, and this gives you, you know, a, a larger image is going to give you theoretically better light. Uh, it's going to possibly give you more resolution, so I have a 14 megapixel camera. And uh, it's also uh, going to give you a shorter depth of field than what you're going to get with the four thirds. And so, and now Panasonic also came out with a new GF1, or they, they've come out with it a little while ago, but it's a new form factor. So we have the GH1, the GF1 is a little smaller, a little more compact, um, and a little cheaper, 899. So, uh, so that was also um, on the way out. Now, there was some other, you know, kind of, you know, there was just a lot of fun stuff, uh, you know, that we saw. Th- those were the cameras that we saw. Uh, one of the things that I was, you know, Ron and I looked at, and I, I think I was probably more enamored with than Ron, but but the NovaFlex. Uh, <laughs> I love that. I love that. It, it's a quad quadrupod. Yeah, which I'd never I'm seen before. Skeptical. You're skeptical. Not, not sold. You know, the thing is, I wasn't so much sold on the quadrupod as as I was sold on the modular system. The idea that you can you can swap all the legs. You can have a suction cup on one leg. You can have a short leg on another. You can have long legs on another. I, there's been a lot of times where I'm just trying to you know the idea of having like a little pack that just has all these different legs and I can kind of figure out what I need to do at a, at a location. To me, is interesting because I've had a lot of those issues where I go, "Oh, this tripod isn't working." And and uh, and now speaking of tripods, also you know, Joby came out with a magnetic one, which we had a lot of fun with. Little magnetic feet on the bottom of it. Yeah, it's only it's only in their small, uh, very small point and shoot like one, but you can see where you want to stick it to a car or something like that. It could be pretty neat. It's a pretty strong. It's those rare earth magnets, so it'll clip on pretty well. Yeah, yeah, and so that so that was uh, that was pretty nifty. Uh, we had. Uh, a couple of other tripods that I came across. Tell um, us about the tripods. <laughs> well, the and you know I love my tripods. You do love uh, your tripods. So there was one from Tamrac that was. Oh, that one was great. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, I'm getting one of those. I should have gotten one yesterday. Yeah, I'm, I may get one too. Actually, I tried to get one yesterday, and they they weren't selling them on the show floor. Uh, it's a you know how in in your in your tent, if anybody camps out there, you know you've got the the aluminum poles that hold your tent up. And they typically slide together, you know, when you're, you're putting the tent up, and they have a piece of uh, elastic, an elastic cord that kind of runs through the center of these aluminum cylinders. And you can almost kind of shake them out, and they will set themselves up. And that's what this tripod is. It's, it's three of those very thin aluminum legs with the, plastic, the elastic running between them. And when you unfold the thing, you just kind of shake it, and the, the legs pop into place. It's not a large tripod. It's probably about four foot tall when it's fully deployed. It looks like... You know, spider legs. They're very small, and it's clearly not something that you're going to be putting a whole lot of weight on. But they do claim that you can put uh, full-sized SLR bodies on it with, you know, not huge lenses, not the big Sigma lens, but uh, they said, you know, any kit lens that comes with any of those uh, DSLRs will will work with that. I think they say three pounds total. Um, And it's got a little ball head on it, and they they claim that that ball head can even be in its its, uh, sideways orientation and still hold that thing. So... You know, it's it's clearly not an ultra ultra stable tripod, but it's so small and light that it may be the one that you would have with you, and normally you wouldn't bother carrying a tripod at all. It, it, it's definitely a limited use, but I could definitely see having it in my uh, in my back, you know, in my group of tripods that I that I have. Of I wasn't going to bring a tripod, but you know, I'll throw this one in. There. Yeah, and it, it's it's fifty bucks. I think uh, it's online at a lot of places. I've been looking around. So if, if all- you had like a little Joby that tripod. And like one of the little ones that sits on your tabletop, they all still are smaller than a regular tripod. And you've got a mm-hmm. bunch of different ways that you could do it. And I could definitely see that using as like a travel grouping of tripods uh, that, that you can kind of throw on different things and, and, and attach to different things uh, fairly effectively. Yeah. yeah so, you know, I, I may get it. It's it was cool. 
Absolutely. Yeah, there was a slightly uh, higher end tripod that you liked there, Ron. Yeah, and, and this this is one I, mo- I mostly want to point out because I, I think it's not on a lot of people's radar, even though they've been out for a while now. It's a company called Faisal, F-E-I-S-O-L, uh, and they are makers of carbon fiber tripods that uh, are you know high quality. Obviously, carbon fiber is not cheap, uh, but at a, at a price point that is still a lot less than what you you would see from you know, the typical carbon fiber manufacturers like Manfrotto. Um, they have a full range of stuff. I, they first came onto my radar several years ago, like maybe three or four years ago. And at that time, the only place they were selling was on eBay. Uh, you know, not used stuff, but uh, the new stuff portion of eBay. Uh, and it was always, it's always been a decent alternative. And, and all the reviews I had read of people that work with these, that get them to work with them, say that they are very well-made tripods. So it's F-E-I-S-O-L. The one in particular I was looking at, just to give an example, is they have the equivalent uh, sort of travel tripod. Uh, Manfrotto makes a, a nice little carbon fiber uh, travel tripod, and, and they have the equivalent uh, from Faisal. It's about $300, which I think is significantly less than what you get for the Manfrotto. Uh, really nice. You can put a small ball head on it, and it kind of folds up around the ball head. So it's worth checking out. If you're, if you're in the market for a carbon fiber tripod, they're obviously very, very light. Uh, you know, you pick these things up, and, and you're like, you know, wow. So, that, check it out if you're if you're looking for carbon fiber, because I think they everything I hear, I, I haven't bought one, but everything I hear is that they are a good alternative to the higher priced uh, ones that you're probably familiar with. Great. Anything else, and Joseph? Did you see anything else that you uh, were excited about? You know, I got to try out the Black Rapid strap for the first time. That's, uh, yeah. you know, I, I have the camera slingers, which is also a great strap for carrying two camera bodies with you. Uh, Black Rapid has a dual strap system and then also a single strap system that just you, know, th- you throw over your shoulder. And instead of the strap attaching directly to the camera, there's a grommet that attaches to your camera. And then it kind of uh, free flows, the strap free flows through the grommet, meaning that it's really easy to just grab the camera from your side and pick it up and then drop it back down again without, you know, the, the strap pulling on you or shifting your clothes or anything like that. And it's just it's a really comfortable way to do it. And, Ron, you tried it on, didn't you? You, you got to give it a go. Yeah, I did. And, you know, uh, I'd seen the videos of these online. They, there's a couple of different manufacturers of this style of thing now. And, you know, i got to say, first of all, that you look at these, what it is. I mean, it's just very simple. All it is is a little thing that screws into the tripod socket on the bottom of the camera, and it has a kind of free-floating uh, thing that slides up and down the strap. And it just slings around your shoulder. So it's really simple, and, and you almost certainly could build one yourself for not too much money. Um, and I was always sort of like, you know, I don't know how interesting that would be or not, or if I'd really want to carry my camera that way. But having tried one, yeah, and, and it's really, and the thing is not just the way it carries, which is nice, but sort of the way it slides up that strap when you grab it and, and pull it up to your face to take a photo. It There's felt good really good there. to me. Yeah, so I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go ahead and, and buy one of those two. They're also in the $50 kind of price point. Yeah, we and, shot some uh, video of that. I, mean, we, I think most of the things, not all the things, but most of the things we talk, we're talking about today, we shot some video on. So uh, if you're listening and wondering what it actually looks like, um, you know, there's, there's going to be a bunch of videos that you're going to get in this, in this feed uh, that, that are going to cover a lot of these things. So um, you know, we, we shot a lot of video yesterday. You know, one of the things I really liked about that black wrap, and I don't know if you, if you got this in the video or not, um, but the dual strap system comes apart to become a single strap system. So we missed that part. If you're, uh, yeah, so if, you're, you know, if, you, if you often carry two camera bodies, you want to buy the dual strap, great. But then for those times when you just want to take the one, um, you just you know, take it apart. It's just a couple of snaps and it comes apart, and now you just have the one strap nice. with you. It's a really clever design. No, it's it's. It, I always find it amazing. Like when you look at like something like Black, Black Rapid, or you look at uh, we we were, we spend a little time over at Lens Baby, and you're just like, wow, there's a whole company 
that's dedicated to this like weird specialty that's really cool that's really useful and it's just it, i'm just I, I find that fascinating i don't know why but it was just like it's such an obscure thing to um build your company around when I mean, you know it started with some kind of complaint like i can't find what i need and now and now you have like a you, know, you probably have a little staff and they're putting stuff together and they're you're sending stuff to china and you know and it's all around some something that started off with i can't believe i can't do this so <laughs> so anyway it's a uh, very very cool anything else there were two things that i that i saw that was specifically interesting and once we have videos of these one was called picture weave and and what these guys do is it's a it was a um uh they they're a tapestry company, and, and they've been doing tapestries for 200 years, and, and they wanted to figure out a way to do it faster, so they tried to figure out a way to have imagery um, that they could just take a photo of a tapestry and then print it. You know, but they didn't want to print it on the ta- on the ta- you know they don't want to print on it because that doesn't last, especially if you're doing a rug or you're doing a tapestry that needs to last for 50 years or 100 years. You, you don't you don't want to have it be. Uh, something that's going to be just printed on that, that dye sublimation is not going to work. And so they want to figure out a way to weave it to have a machine that weaves from the, the actual, uh, image. And so they figured that out. And then somebody at the company, I guess, evidently just put a photo of their kids into it or, you know, <laughs> just to see what would happen. And when they saw it, they were like, mm, that's a business. And so, so they, they've, uh, <laughs> they saw it, they thought it was cool. And it was, it's actually pretty cool. You know, I know it sounds, it sounds kind of harebrained, but, uh, I'm going to get one. I, you know, and, and it, here's the thing is I thought of like my wife would love to have a blanket with my kids on it. You know, like, you know, and that's exactly what it is. I mean, that's what it is. It's, it, it's, in a, it's one of those things that you, you know, you want to get a blanket with your kids or your dog or, you know, all those things are the kind of things that you might want to make a little blanket of. It's, it'd be fun. And, and, it, and it's not printed on it. You know, it's not something that's going to be some kind of weird fate. It is a woven, you know, blanket or a woven, uh, you know, uh, tapestry or a bag or whatever and it's really woven from the photo and so and it's not you know particularly expensive it's it's you know in the hundred dollar range and so uh it, you know it's something that, that's actually doable and i just for some reason i was very very excited about it i don't know why and and um the other one was your photo on canvas and there's a lot of people who are doing this um i thought that the stuff their their choice of imagery was a little off <laughs> i mean it was just it was just very saturated they used a lot of hdrs um that you know we were just talking about it were a little oversaturated and so on and so forth but there were some images there that weren't hdr that were actually i thought pretty nice and and what they do is you know it's just they've been again you have a company that and, and this is what i like to see sometimes is, and the reason i was interested in them specifically is you have a company who has a history in doing art printing you know for 20 years over 20 years they've been doing art printing so they've been doing reproductions like limited run reproductions uh, of art on canvas so that you kind of know that they, they, they kind of understand that process really well and they, they, they have kind of a high-quality standard that they're working with. And um, so they, they, they've been doing that for a while. And, uh, and then they made this over two, two years ago. They started letting you – you can upload the images to their website and then have it printed on Canvas. And, and I, you know, I have to admit that there's a lot of classic photos of my kids or classic photos of trips that I have that I'm, I'm really considering putting on canvas, you know, and, and, and they really are more aimed at, at professional photographers who want to make this a service to their clients. And you can see how with a wedding or a, you know, a, you know, bar mitzvah or a, you know, something like that, you could totally see someone, you know, getting it, getting a classic photo shot, you know, or portraits, you know, it, so it's really aimed at, at photographers who want to do this as a service. Um, and, you know, that's what they that's what they're really doing. Um, so it's your photo on canvas and it's 
Um, and it's, it's a pretty interesting little service and they will, you know, work with you on the printout. <laughs> cause I was like, I was like, cause I, I just imagined myself spending $200 on a print and sending it off and then getting something back that wasn't quite right, but now it's on canvas. And, and, uh, and so they, you know, they will give you suggestions on, you know, I don't, and they, they have ICC profiles and so they can send them to you so you can make sure that you're roughly looking at, you know, what you're going to, you know, it's roughly WYSIWYG when you're actually working on it, which is good. Yeah, I have a couple of canvases in my house that I've printed up. Um, I use a, a printer called Pixel to Canvas, and they do you know, just a phenomenal job. And, and like you said, it, it's great for things like portraits. I have a, a portrait of my kids that I've done up on a canvas, and it's just it's a really beautiful thing to have in the house. It's, it sets it apart from a standard photo. You've got that texture on the canvas that you you know you expect out of an oil painting or something. And especially if you hang it kind of uh, you know center of the fireplace, got a nice light shining on it, gives that that little extra depth to it. It's it's raised off of the wall, you know. It's not flat on the wall. It's a really nice uh, piece of uh, artwork to have in your house. It's a beautiful Absolutely. thing. So so that was, the, and then there was you know some scary ones. There was there was one with it was like extruded. <laughs> I actually I actually saw a video I was, after you guys left. There was we were in kind of we we finished so fast. I mean we did we shot. I mean usually it takes us you know a day to shoot twenty episodes, and we shot twenty seven segments in like three hours and a part of it was we had done i had done a lot of i had done more pre-planning than i'd never done before so i mean i'd spent a day and a half kind of planning and thinking and, and stuff like that before we went out so we just went, we're just hammering through stuff and so we got done and we were into the day and so we we shot this segment of that, that that'll be there of three things that uh three things that uh three 3D things that you didn't think you could do with a photo, and one, and so one. <laughs> this is the this is the bad taste yeah. segment. For you. <laughs> it was just the crazy taste. So there was there was one there was one that was like holographic. I mean, it totally looked like Harry Potter. I think we walked by it, and so it, it, you just wanted to you know you do 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 do. You know, it was just like this this weird Harry Potter. You were waiting for them to start talking to you you know and and uh, and then there was another one there was another one that made they, they'll actually take a photo and make a bobblehead you'll see it in the video it's really funny they'll take they'll actually give you a bobblehead of yourself from or your friends from a photo i need to i need to do one for like leo you know anyway so um in fact i was thinking i was thinking for some reason for like a new opening for the video version of twip i was thinking we should get bobbleheads of all the hosts and then we should shoot them like really short depth of field and have them like bobbling around i don't i don't I, you know <laughs> I don't know why, but that's that was why that's where I went when I saw it. I just picture an entire video episode of doing that, where instead of you know actually showing our faces, just the bobbleheads bobbling and our voices are laid over it, <laughs> and someone sitting there, you get know, you like a puppeteer, someone sitting there shaking it, you know, like like just shaking when it when the, when the that's person's the appropriate talking. head whenever they're talking. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. We well, could probably put it on like a little rocker, that, so you, all you have to do is like cut to it, and you can have like a little. Anyway, sorry, we're. A little rat hole there, but my favorite, the favorite one my favorite. is this guy who extrudes it. It's like the it's like the black velvet of of the, of two thousand of twenty ten. <laughs> it's it's this uh, it's this um, it's printed on I, I guess on like styrofoam, uh, and it has some process that he claims very is secret over. about it. He's yeah. like, I could tell you what it is, uh, but I would have to kill you. Yes, and so uh, but or my turn pay- you into one of these. Yeah, my guess is that you know what, it, what the process is. He, uh, you know, you send them a photo of your everything was like family photos, and somebody sits down and determines you know sort of an approximate kind of sense of depth for it. So you know the nose should stick out further than the face, then and that should stick out further than the background, and then this gets probably machine cut onto this piece of styrofoam so you get depth of it, and then they print the photo on top of that. 
but it's this really creepy looking effect where you know people's faces look oddly distorted unless you're looking at it straight on and then of course you're looking at it straight on then it's not 3D and it's just uh, about as tasteless as I can imagine <laughs> and I and I was nicer on on the actual video because he was standing right there and, and the, the funny thing is that the first the thing he said right before I started recording was be nice <laughs> <laughs> It kind of reminds me of the Haunted Mansion at, at Disneyland where you're going through and you see those inverse carved heads that kind of look at you as you walk by. It was kind of like that, but in There's reverse, a use for it just, somewhere. I mean, there's, there's, like a, I, there's a college room waiting to have a 3D head of some guy's girlfriend, you know, you know <laughs> like for parties or something, or ex-girlfriend that looks really scary, you know, crazy. You know, so there's, there's a market for this. There's a market for everything. So there's a market for this. It's just not my market. So, um, so anyway, but it was, it was, so we, we showed, you'll see the videos of it. You'll see what I'm talking about. And, uh, uh, and kudos goes out to, you know, we just had, uh, you know, uh, yet another, you know, great team of, uh, you know, uh, Victor and Liana did a great job of kind of prepping stuff and shooting stuff. We just want to make sure we thank you. When you see all these videos, it was, it's a lot of work, you know, and, and, uh, and Victor Lowe came down from, uh, from San Francisco and, uh, Liana Lewis. <laughs> I'm having trouble. Liana Le- Lehua. Le- I'm sorry. It's early in the morning. My tongue wouldn't work. Um, and, uh, you know, came from 10 minutes away. <laughs> so she was right there. And uh, it was great to have her, you know, back on the team. So so anyway, uh, so so kudos go out, goes out to those guys. They really, you know, made it made it work. And so um, anyway, that's it. Uh, Joseph, where can people find you? People can find me on the Twitters at travel underscore junkie and at photojoseph.com. And Ron, where can people find you? Just come on over to Twitter, Ron Brinkman with two ends at the end. Great, and uh, get that lens cap off, get out there shooting, and we'll see.